Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, we are back with another episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. And this time around, we're going to look into a topic that's been very popular in our webinars. It was also a lot of the focus at the recent Leading Learning Symposium, and that is credentialing and certification and, you know, how organizations should be wrapping their head around that topic now and in the future. And Salisa, I know you've spent time talking to one of the people who we consider to just be a leading voice in this whole area. Yes, I talked with Mickey Rops, and she really is an expert in the area of credentialing. She's written a couple of books, uh, one called Considering Certification, and that really helps organizations as they're trying to make the decision of, you know, is certification right for us? And she sort of starts at the higher level just around questions of is, is any form of credentialing right, and then helps organizations sort of step through that process to, to figure out if, if certification is right. And then she has another book called Certification Simplified, which really is kind of a the primer, the the Bible for um, staff and and volunteers who are working with a certification programs for individuals at their organizations. And she just is extremely knowledgeable about credentialing. Um, We also talked a little bit about uh, what she sees as sort of the the exciting area of growth and credentialing, which you might be um, not too surprised to hear is micro-credentialing. Well, whenever Mickey writes anything, I like to make sure I read it. Whenever she speaks, I listen. So let's get on with the interview and hear what Mickey has to say. I'm Salisa Steele, and today for the Leading Learning Podcast, I'm joined by Mickey Rops. Mickey is the the brain and the brawn behind Mickey Rops Consulting, and she's an expert in credentialing. She wrote the books Considering Certification, Your Guide to Making the Decision, and also Certification Simplified, a primer for staff and volunteer leaders of personnel certification programs. Um, Her work often centers on guiding organizations through the decision-making process uh, around which credentialing program, if any, is right for them, and then then helping them to develop the strategy and and policies and and conceptualize the design um, for the program. So, Mickey, thank you for taking time to speak with me today. Great. Thanks for having me. And so I, I did a, a fairly brief introduction there, so I would love if you would just um, share a little bit more about your, your background and, and business before we uh, dive into some more specific questions. Sure. Well, I think that was actually a pretty comprehensive introduction, <laughs> but uh, may, maybe of interest is how I actually got into credentialing. And uh, since there are no degrees in credentialing, you don't go directly into it usually. I actually started out working for a professional association 
and and started working in professional development education and then moved into the the certifying body for that for that discipline which was food and nutrition and and after working with that organization for a while that's when I decided that I really liked credentialing and went off on my own about 18 or 19 years ago now and have uh, been working with organizations in credentialing since then. That organization was in healthcare, so I kind of started out working mostly in, with healthcare credentialing bodies. Uh, but but then obviously the it all the credentialing is the same regardless of discipline. So I branched out uh, since then. In addition to what you said in terms of uh, which I agree is a lot of my focus working with organizations at the beginning stages of helping them make the decision if they should offer certification or any type of credentialing program and, you know, guiding them on what, on what to offer, if anything. I also now have moved into doing a lot of work with organizations who are trying to get their, their credentialing programs, whether it's a certificate program or a certification program, getting that accredited by a third party. So, so a lot of my work now is on doing audits of programs and kind of seeing where they are in compliance or not with the, the industry standards and, and then kind of setting a pathway and, and helping them kind of close those gaps so they can get their programs accredited if they wish. Oh, well, great. That That is definitely interesting. And, and, and it raises, I think, an important point, which is just that there are kind of a lot of um, terms that fall under your bailiwick, you know, credentialing and certification and accreditation and certificate programs. So maybe um, a great next question would just be to ask you to help us kind of understand some of the key terms, you know, what they mean, how they fit together. Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of confusion about that. And and probably the, the word to cover first is, is credentialing, because that. Um, is, is misused, I think, a lot in, oh, well, that might be strong to say it's misused, but it's used as a synonym a lot um, that individuals think when they say credentialing that they're talking about certification. And that's actually really not true. Credentialing is the umbrella term. So any of those other types of programs like certification, licensure, certificate programs, accreditation, um, micro-credentials, digital badges, I mean, you get all kinds of things. Those are all types of um, credentialing programs. So if, if someone says they're offering a credentialing program, it doesn't really tell you what, what it is other than that that organization is verifying that an individual or an entity has met some standards. It, that's really all that it means. And so then beyond that, you can credential individuals, you can credential organizations, or you can credential products. Um, there's not a lot of product credentialing going on, so I usually focus on the other two of individuals and organizations. And terminology there, I'll start with the, the easier one first. If you are credentialing an organization, that's usually called accreditation. So colleges and universities are accredited, libraries can be accredited, all kinds of organizations can be accredited. That's, that's the proper kind of formal terminology when you're credentialing an organization. I'm not going to say it's the only term used because it's, it's not regulated, at least in the United States. So, so sometimes it's called something else, but generally in the credentialing industry, that's what it's called. You, you, you accredit an organization or a process within an organization. Now, when you're talking about credentialing of individuals, which is a little bit more prolific, then we're talking about the terms of um, certification, licensure, certificate programs, um, and some derivatives off of that. The, the big difference of, of the one that I'll kind of throw off because it's, none of us do this except for regulatory bodies in the United States is licensure. 
So that's a credential that you can give an individual, but, but for-profit, non-profit, you know, those types of organizations other than government don't license. So then that kind of leaves us with certification and certificate programs. And those are the kind of the core credentialing programs offered to individuals. And just as a, as a quick and dirty difference between them, because these are often confused and there's actually a lot of, um, not just in terminology, but the two models are mixed a lot. And then you never know what to call them because they, they're attributes of both. But the bottom line difference between the two is that in a cer- certification program, the focus is on assessing the current knowledge and skills of an individual. So there is no directly required or associated training program. Now, there might be something that they've had to do in the past, um, like a training program or have a college degree, have a certain number of years of experience, what are called eligibility requirements to get the certification. But the focus of certification is on the test. So verifying through eligibility criteria and the test that you have current, you're, you're currently competent. That's different from a certificate program where the focus of a certificate program is providing them the knowledge and skills um, so they don't have it, right? In certification, they have it, so you're testing them, or they don't, and you find that out. But in certificate programs, your audience, you know they don't have the knowledge and skills, so the purpose of a certificate program is to provide that knowledge and skill and then assess that they have actually attained it through your training. So that's that's the core difference between those two. Well, that's great. You know, and like you said, I think that there are like you said, maybe, you know, a lot of misuse, you know, I won't put a a number on it, but it does seem like, right, all these terms can get uh, thrown around. And so I think it's great to have you lay out, um, you know, credentialing is that umbrella term and then speak, you know, specifically to how the other pieces fit in there. And one thing Mm -hmm. that we haven't touched on yet in in what, you know, the terms that you've mentioned, but a a term that I think is getting a fair amount of buzz and attention these days is uh, digital badges. So um, I'd, I'd just be curious to kind of know your take on digital badges, you know, you know where, how they're being used um, today or, or what you sort of see as their future for them and how they kind of fit in in this big picture of, of credentialing and all these sub-components of it. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, and we'll talk a little more, but I mean, I think digital badges have great potential. So, you know, saying that, of course, first, but I think from the kind of education standpoint on this, I think probably the most important thing for everyone to realize is that the digital badge itself is not a credential. And that's why when I was talking about we've got these for individuals, these for organizations, the different types of credentials, you know, a digital badge, often I think individuals, organizations are talking about digital badges as credentials, which, which again, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to say it's wrong, but here's the important part about it is that really the digital badge is the digital representation of a credential. So you have to have a quality credentialing system beneath that badge or it really doesn't have any value. And, and what it makes me think of this effort, you know, kind of what's going on right now with digital badges is just like what happened when certificate programs were kind of new. Um, now, I say kind of new because uh, colleges and universities have had certificate programs forever. But when, um, but when associations and, and more corp- corporations started offering certificate programs, uh, that's been really within the last 10 years or so that those have really caught on. And here's what happened with certificate programs, and I see the same thing happening with digital badges, is that you know, it's kind of the shiny new object. It's like, oh, certificate programs, these have great value. Let, you know, we must offer one. And what I saw a lot of groups doing is 
kind of throwing together their existing learning programs, whether they had value or not, but seeing adding a giving issuing a certificate based on completion of those training programs would suddenly make those training programs more valuable. And it didn't. I saw a lot of groups fail trying to do that because, because you know, the, again, the, the bottom line credentialing program you have has to have value, not what you call it or that you're giving a certificate or that you're giving a digital badge. Mm. So, so what I saw there is what I think we'll see here too. It, when they'll be valuable, and I think they will be valuable, is when a lot of attention is paid to what is really the need here. You know, where just like the certificate programs, I saw I saw organizations start from scratch and say, you know, really, where could a certificate program have value? Create one from scratch, and I've seen some be the most successful program the, the organization offers. And I think the same is going to happen with digital badges. From what I've seen, I'm seeing digital badges being slapped on a lot of things that have no value or little value, and they're not going to have any value. But if but the groups that are really being strategic about it are saying, you know, what are the programs that need to have more of an outcomes basis, you know, or what, what can we actually add value to resumes and things, you know, where do we need digital badges? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and those are going to have value. So, again, you've got to have the quality system and the need underneath the badge. You know, slapping a badge on things that are, are of little value are, are going to stay of little value. Yeah, no, I think that makes a great sense to sort of make that distinction between, right, the underlying um, uh, credential, the underlying, you know, piece of value, and then, the, you know, the digital badge or certificate programs. Those are sort of the way you ways you can potentially package it up, but, yeah, the underlying value is what's important. Um, Absolutely. And so we touched on this a little bit, but, but maybe just um, talk to us a little bit more about kind of um, – the relationship between credentialing and and learning in in your mind. And, you know, you you made that distinction between, um, you know, certification really being around assessing current knowledge, you know, and then certificate programs being more about building knowledge and skills. But, you know, Mm -hmm. in in your idea, kind of what's the, what's maybe either the the actual or kind of the ideal relationship between um, credentialing and learning? And, and, you know, maybe you want to break that out and say, okay, well, let's not talk specifically about credentialing because that's too broad. But, you know, just in general kind of, you know, how do you think credentialing can play a role or does play a role in, in how people are learning? Well, it, it definitely has a role. And I think here again, it's the important thing is to think through where credentialing is necessary because there's going to be lots of times when learning is necessary but credentialing isn't. And an example of that would be, you know, if, if there is, let's see, a new law in a field or for a specific role, um, that's going to be something really important to teach your, whoever it is, your staff, your members, whoever, whoever your, your constituency is, to teach them that. But do you have to give a credential for it? I don't know, probably not. I mean, it may be a webinar is all you need to do for that. Uh, so, so there are times when learning, someone learning something in and of itself, that's enough. There are other times, though, where a credential will add value. And when I say a credential, again, I, I'm talking about any of those things, just basically the credential meaning that you have actually determined that a standard has been met. So again, if it's the new law and it's you know pretty self-explanatory, you you know you give it to them in a webinar and now they know all they need to know and they run off and they do it. But what if it's a, a you know a whole new piece of equipment that a role needs to now use or a new medical technique or something? Then 
in those scenarios, maybe, I don't know, but because it's hypothetical, but, but that seems more like a place where the stakeholders, uh, such as employers, would say, I, you know, I don't know that they just need to hear about this. I need to know they can demonstrate something or they really know how to do this. And that would be a case to turn more of just a learning program into a credentialing program, both, right? And that they're tied. So you, you teach them, train them, have them demonstrate it, and they only get the credential if they have demonstrated that they've, they've really achieved those learning outcomes. Um, that's not necessary for all learning. And that's why I say there, there definitely there's a relationship between them, but it's up to the organization to, to decide, you know, they don't need to give a certificate program or a certification or a digital badge or whatever it is for everything. What are the key things where, where the outcomes, demonstrating the outcomes, who passes, who doesn't are important. Yeah, that's great. That's right. So sort of credentialing being a, a, a smaller subset of, of, of learning and right, not all learning necessarily needing um, the, the sort of stamp that a credential can, can put on the experience. Um, and, and organizations don't have the resources to, to turn every learning opportunity into a credentialing program. Right. So, you know, so the prioritization is, is needed there too. Right. Got to figure out where to put your limited resources. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so uh, another thing that I, I think is, is interesting and would love to hear your take on is just um, what organizations are doing um, around ensuring competence kind of throughout a certification cycle or kind of beyond, you know, okay, this is the moment in time we've said that you, you know this and we've verified it at this point in time, but that idea of, of ongoing or continuous um, competency. Right, right. You know, th- this one's a challenge. Um, it's a tough, it's well, not only just a tough question for me, it's a, it's a tough question for certifying bodies. It's not, and it's not a new question. This one kind of comes and goes. There were Gosh, it's been decades ago that there was a big push in certification to, you know, to ensure competence. There was a lot of research done, a lot of papers published. You know, several big credentialing agencies, certifying agencies did try and some successfully to change their certification systems to more ensure competence. I will tell you one of the big outcomes of that was um, maybe sadly certifying bodies changing their language to because they realized they can't ensure competence. Mm. That, that was actually a big outcome of that, that they're, um, that they're assisting in. And they're, you know, but, but really, that was a major outcome. We, you know, we can't, as a certifying body, we can't ensure competence at, in every situation, right? We can ensure that they've met our requirements and that they know, you know that they've demonstrated they, you know, a passing score on this test. And, and so we've seen a lot of changing of the language of, of credentialing because of this effort. Um, and, and there is there is some focus on it, and because I don't want to make it sound like doomsday, like there's nothing we can do here. Let's just change our language. There is, but but there are a lot of challenges. And what a lot of groups came to is really the only or the most effective way to really make sure that the individual certified continue to be competent is to retest. But there's a lot of pushback for that, of course. You know, and, and, and not even just pushback because people don't want to take another test, although that's true. There's pushback from, you know, a real life standpoint that a lot of certification programs are, well, if you think of fields, uh, association management, someone, you know, goes in and gets certified as, um, you know, a, a, an expert in associations, but then, but then has to know the broad base of everything, but then really specializes in an area, should they have to, they become this, the, the expert in public relations to stay certified in association management, should they have to take the broad-based test again? 
I mean, this has been a huge issue in healthcare where, where people specialize. They're like, well, wait, I, you know, I, I can't pass that test that covers, you know, the broad base of all those areas. I now am at the top, you know, in this area. And so that has been a real challenge for certifying bodies trying to say, well, how would we even test for somebody to make sure they're competent? Do we really want them to be minimally competent across all areas or would we rather have them a true expert in an area? So that's, that's one challenge. And some groups have done that, though have done retesting either at that specialty level or broad-based. I think um, a strategy that all groups could do, though, that, that we see some doing, and really, like I said, everybody could, could and probably should be doing this, is those, which are most of them, that have a continuing education requirement that there's been a lot of criticism about, and, and rightly so. Uh, what those organizations can do, though, is rather than just mandating learning, which in and of itself isn't a real effective system, they can actually start providing tools to those individuals to help them be better learners. And that's something that that a lot of organizations, um, certifying bodies haven't done, and some have, and and very successfully, but, you know, helping individuals develop their learning plan, doing self-assessments, even figure out what their gaps are, because there's good research to show people don't know what their learning gaps actually are. Um, So so doing those kind of things to help them be better learners and, you know, giving them the tools rather than just requiring them to have learning. That that's kind of my uh, little platform on that. Okay, no, no I think that, that right. That makes a, a ton of sense. That it's rather than kind of a one size fits all approach. Let's really help them, right? Understand their own strengths and and then grow those, and then ident- you know fill in any of the gaps where they don't have um, the knowledge or the skills that they should have. Um, well, that's right. Yeah, so that all sounds great, and and this maybe is an example of of, of what you might say a, a smart organization is, is doing. But you know, just be curious to hear your take on kind of what smart organizations are doing with learning, and that could be you know around uh, credentialing in that context, or if you want to speak more broadly. But just you know, are are there any kind of um, things maybe like that? Um, you know, rather than mandating learning, helping people be better learners. Are there other things like that that you you see sort of smart organizations, savvy organizations doing and taking advantage of? Um, Well, one thing, uh, just what, I don't know if this is the most important thing, but it's the thing that came to my mind first, is it seems like the smart organizations are not trying to offer everything, um, you know, and trying be all things to all people in the case of, for example, associations, right? Just, you know, we, we must provide everything. And it's not realistic, again, from the resource standpoint. And, and they're probably not going to do it better than, than what some organizations are, are already doing. So I think the smart organizations are really, you know, doing the market research, scanning the environment, finding out, um, you know, what's already offered elsewhere, and, and, and actually, let me even back up for a minute. I think the first thing an organization, the smart ones I'm seeing doing, are they're, first of all, they're identifying, if they don't, haven't done this already, they're identifying what the body of knowledge of the field is. So they have a starting point. So they even know, you know, what, what are all the possible, the, the key things are, you know, our members or employees need to learn. That's number one. But then doing kind of a gap analysis of that, finding out what they already offer, but then what other organizations already offer too, instead of just, you know, just looking at just themselves and saying, well, we don't offer this. We must, must offer this. You know, maybe somebody else is already doing it well. And, and then uh, a couple things. One, only then focusing on developing the learning programs or credentialing programs that they need to be, um, that, that they're uniquely qualified or positioned to offer and, and letting the other 
organizations offer the others two to supplement. And maybe the number two is, is possibly, you know, serving as that um, source for referral, kind of being the curator to say, hey, here's our body of knowledge. Here's where you can go get that. It happens to not be us. You know, we offer this and, and kind of still kind of leading them to those things, um, but, but not feeling they have to offer everything. Right, and I think that is a natural role for associations to play that that curation um, uh-huh. role. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's great. And and then um, I think kind of tied up in this. I mean, are you seeing organizations um, trying to collect um, data around impact and, and outcome? You know, some of the the kinds of things that could speak to that return on investment, whether from the the learner standpoint or or, or the credentialed individuals or organization standpoint, or you know, the point of view of a, another stakeholder like employers. I mean, are you seeing organizations trying to say, okay, what, what, what can the data tell us or what, what can we collect that really shows this uh, credentialing program or, you know, this learning is having some, some kind of impact? You know, I, I'm still not seeing a lot here. I mean, not to say that, that some organizations aren't doing this and doing it well, but, but I would say overall, you know, when I look at all, you know, all of the organizations offering learning and, and credentialing programs, I'm not seeing this as a strength. Uh, and I think it's because it's hard, hard to tackle. Like, how, you know, how, how do we do this? I mean, I'm starting to see certifying bodies doing more of what is the value of certification and doing those types of studies and tracking it over time. So some, some are definitely doing it. Um, I, I see more on the education, the learning side, you know, I'm I'm seeing more talk about it, but I, there's still a lot of those little smiley face <laughs> evaluations being done. Right. I mean, as far as anything really coming close to return on investment, I, you know, I don't know. I, so, yes, I think we're hearing the talk. I, I haven't seen it. Um, I, I don't think it's taken over yet I, like, like we'd like to. What I am seeing, though, are the focus on outcomes from the perspective of um, – employers more demanding that, you know, what did anybody learn, right? Did they, was this program valuable? So, uh, so, so from the certificate program and those types of programs where instead of an organization, you know, just offering um, workshops and, you know, where you, you know, what's it really say to say, I went to this XYZ workshop. So I think the, the employers are starting to demand, you know, if I'm going to pay a thousand dollars for you to go somewhere, you know, I want to know that you've really learned something. And, and that certificate model, they're right. No, if now when I say certificate model, again, cause that term's thrown around, I mean that there actually is an assessment. Mm-hmm. So only those individuals who can demonstrate that they have attained those learning outcomes, get the actual certificate. You know, I, I think that model is really picking up and I I think it is because of the demand that that it's much more valuable to for for an organization to say, hey, you know, you're going to know when somebody comes back if if they have met these learning outcomes or not, versus just, yeah, we, we taught them. We don't we don't know if there was any outcome. Well, and, and it may be related to this or or not um, necessarily, but you know, do you think that that part of that demand, um, you know? on the outcomes or that focus on the outcomes is, is a result of, of kind of learning and credentialing getting more competitive or do you see credentialing as getting more competitive these days? Well, I 
I think that it is from the perspective that a lot more organizations are offering learning and credentialing programs. So whereas it used to be just the you know, colleges, universities, big corporations, national, international associations, you know, offering certainly something being called a credential. Um, now, I mean, I could get online, you could get online and develop a program today and offer it tomorrow uh-huh. and, and issue, a, you know, a credential, a, a micro-credential, a digital badge, you know, whatever. So, so I think that from that perspective, it's definitely becoming more competitive that, uh, the, like, for example, associations, you know, they, they used to kind of have the market on some of these things. It's like, who else is going to offer this? You know, we are the experts in XYZ, and it's just not true. You know, you can get online and Google a topic and find courses available that you can start right now. So, yes. It's definitely becoming more competitive from that perspective. It's making it harder, though, too, for the – there's pros and cons. There's a lot more available, but it's really hard for the, for the consumer, the learning consumer, to decide what, what's the best thing for them, what's mm. quality, what's not. Right. Right. And I, I personally think the more that uh, the, the organization or individual offering that um, – that credential, the more they can prove, you know, point to some of those outcomes and really sort of say, you know, that this is the kind of results that what we're doing has. That's going to help the the learner um, see that as a, as a as the winning choice in that kind of um, that sea of options that can be out there now. Yeah, and I well, and I do think we you know we didn't spend a lot of time on on kind of the value of the digital badge, and I and I think that that's one of them that. You know, the, the true value of the digital badge is the metadata that is built within the digital badge. Mm. That, that instead of someone just saying, you know, I have this and it's this really fluffy, wonderful named, you know, credential that nobody knows what it is and you really can't even verify they have it, to the digital badge system, you, you know, an employer, whoever wants to verify the credential, I mean, the digital badge, they click right in and they get to see what the requirements were to earn this and if they still have it or if they even have it at all. I mean, so I think there's a huge value in that digital badging system for credentials from that perspective of, well, from two perspectives, but right now speaking from, you know, the employer and the value for them to say, really, what's this program? Because then they, they can kind of look at one digital badge and go, well, yay, you know, that was a one-hour content course and there was no assessment. And another one, they can say, wow, you know, they had to pass a, a practical exam, a written test, and, you know, and it was 50 hours of content. So you, the employer can dig right in and see that instead of just a fancy title. Right, right. And and this may figure into your answer to this next question, but, you know, so, so what's happening in credentialing that or learning, if you want to go more broadly, that, that's exciting to you? What do you see as kind of a, some new developments or, or things that um, are, are leading towards a, a new direction or a new opportunity in credentialing or learning? Well, it's, it's related to, to digital badging, I think. But I think um, what I'm currently kind of fascinated with are, are the possibilities of micro-credentials. And, uh, and where those are going to go. I mean, I think, I guess that wasn't something I defined, so I should probably do that first. And, and so really a, a micro-credential would just be really simply just a small version of any of those other types of credentials. So it could be a smaller certification, a smaller certificate program, a, you know, just a, it's, it's small chunks of, of content. I think, which doesn't may not sound that exciting, but when you really think of the possibilities for it, I, I think that micro credentials. Why I'm fascinated about it is in their ability to possibly enhance some of the existing credentialing systems, 
but but frankly, in some cases, to replace them. And and so I mean I I've been seeing, you know, a lot of challenges with the existing traditional certification model for some industries. It seems like every kind of industry wants to have a certification program. They just kind of feel that kind of legitimizes the industry and, you know, we must certify. But every industry doesn't need a certification program. And and just because you offer one, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to succeed. And in many cases, it's, a, it's quite a drain on on resources. And, and so when I look at, and, and the reason for that, by the way, I should say, why I think micro-credentials have some real potential in some areas are if you look at an industry that really has diverse bodies of knowledge, where there's just all kinds of specialization, but this happens for associations all the time. Their members are all, you know, they have a common kind of body of knowledge or else they wouldn't be in a membership together, but there are all kinds of niches. Right. And those that is so challenging for those types of organizations, you know, they say we want to develop certification. And by the time you you distill what the common body of knowledge is, then you go, well, really, what's the value of having a certification in that? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, maybe that's a certificate program, right? Everybody gets that common body of knowledge. You know, yes, they have they have that certificate program. But from, you know, the real value of a certification, it really I, I think this idea of having micro credentials to say, you know, so pick those key new areas in your industry, um, you know, and they can get a micro, smaller credential chunk in this niche and in that niche, and and the possibilities then of even stacking those to say, you know, and if you get all these, then maybe there is, you know, a macro credential of some site type, and that, you know, maybe, maybe not. It depends on the case. But I think there's some real possibilities in that um, and that they, you know, they're going to be more nimble. They're going to be less expensive to develop. Um, but so I, I, I think that's an, it's a way for a lot of associations to at least look at that model instead. And, and the other, this is happening a lot, by the way, in um, colleges, especially community colleges, where they're developing. Because I didn't speak to it because it's not typically our, you know, our audience uh, here. But, but another type of credential is a degree. I mean that's that's a, that's a, certainly right, right. A, considered a credential too, and and a lot of colleges, community colleges, um, what they're doing is breaking down their associate degree programs into uh, micro credentials, basically my, little little micro certificate programs, and and so instead of somebody having to get wait two years for a degree, they're actually getting sometimes eight micro credentials certificate programs along the way. So that if they end up um, not getting the degree, changing paths, they still have outcomes. They still have something of quality to show for it. And even if they end up getting the degree, it's that, you know, they're not having to wait those two years yeah. to get something. And, and where I put this back on, like, associations as an example is you know, the problem, you know, one of the challenges with the traditional certification model is often you have to have five or seven or ten years of experience to get the certification the way the workforce trends are working now, people have moved on to an entirely new field by then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So this idea of the micro credentials that you know that have value now, instead of you know someone having to wait ten years to get your your traditional credential, I, I this is an area I think we're going to see a lot more action in. Yeah, no, I think it sounds like a, a right fit for sort of the, the the state of the world these days with mm-hmm. the faster timelines and the the just 
the, the shelf life of knowledge being so short now, especially in some fields and industries where we have uh, all these uh, discoveries and, and new advancements coming out, and that if you're going to, if you have a credential that takes a really long time to learn, then you know by the time you're finishing, some of what you learned at the beginning is no longer valid or relevant anymore. Absolutely, and that's what all the research about degrees is showing right now. Yeah. By the someone earn, you know, they earn a degree. What is it about half of it um, <laughs> is no longer relevant? Well, and and because we just you know talk about that uh, relevancy question there. I, again, this may factor into your answer to this next question, but just you know what uh-huh. what threats or hurdles do you see in the the current environment to to credentialing or, or learning? Kind of what are the 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 difficulties to be overcome? Wow. You know, I, I kind of referenced this, I think, earlier. I, I think probably the biggest hurdle is uh, getting distracted by the, the shiny new objects. Um, you know, there, there are so many new technology systems in terms of, oh, there's so many ways to look at that. The, the new platforms, it's so easy to, to put content online and develop a, you know, kind of a quote credentialing system or a learning system or a, you know, a badging system. And it's, so I think people can get caught up in that of how kind of cool and we can do it this way. And, and again, the, the whole badging concept, oh, this, you know, let's do that. But so those are distractions. I think we have to get back to the focus of, you know, what are the actual learning needs and what needs to be outcomes based, et cetera, rather than this, yeah, all these distractions of these, uh, these new objects. Well, great. And, and just, I think two last questions for you. I mean, one is, is obviously, you know, you're, you know an awful lot about credentialing, um, but would be interesting to hear about your own approach to um, your personal lifelong learning. You know, how do you um, keep learning and growing your skills and knowledge? You know, it's it's a bit of a challenge when you you know when you're in a particular area for for so long. I don't want to make myself sound that old, I guess, but, but, you know, when, when you've been in, in an area like myself for credentialing, you know, about 20 years, it, it is, it is a challenge to try to figure out just through some of the more traditional settings, conferences, et cetera, to, you know, to really be learning something. I, I, um, I learn in lots of different ways, but I, I, I am, I think, fairly strategic about at least knowing at any given point what I want to learn more about. Um, so I think that's kind of the key, like, okay, so we're trying to figure that out, uh, instead of just kind of going about, cause I, I'm, I'm a sponge. I mean, I, I could lose just days, you know, just searching on the inter- internet cause I'm interested in so many things and that's not going to be fruitful for me or, or my clients. So, you know, so I, I am pretty strategic about saying, you know, really right now, well, you know, what does my focus need to be? What do I want you know, to learn? And then doing some research to find out if there's any formal training programs available for that, or are topics at a conference going to be on that? Are people going to be there? that I can talk to and, you know, and just, so just really, I think my focus is on identifying what that, that content, you know, what that is that I want to learn. And then it, it could really be any route. Yeah. And it might be a phone call in terms of how I'm going to learn it. Right. Well, no, I like that too, that to get that, having the focus of what it is you want to learn mm-hmm. more about, and then you figure out how to, to fill that, that need. Right. So just to wrap up, you know, if people are interested in, in learning more about you and what you do, you know, what, what are the best ways for them to find you out on the web? You know, this is pretty old school, but I would say my, my website really, msrops.com, is, is probably the best way just because it, if anything that I'm, you know, doing or any other of my links that I have are going to be there. 
Um, one thing I'm toying with that that website would certainly redirect to is, is actually doing a little bit more online teaching of, of ah, these concepts. Oh, great. Um, so, um, so, but I don't have, I don't have a new, new URL for you for that yet, but, <laughs> but it, anything would be there. So that's kind of probably the central place to go to, to find out anything I'm doing. Well, great. That's your, your home base online. And, and thank you very much for right. taking time to speak with me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Sure. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. So that wraps up our interview with Mickey Rops. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 12. While you're there, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If that's something you have not done yet and you are getting value out of the Leading Learning Podcast, we would be truly, truly grateful if you would subscribe. And we'd also be grateful if you'd take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We appreciate that because it makes a world of difference in making sure that others can find this podcast. And finally, speaking about others finding this podcast, we'd be really grateful if you would tell others about it. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can take the same text that we provide there and put it into another social network, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, or just walk into somebody's office and tell them where to go to find the Leading Learning Podcast. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.